Thank you very much, uh, Matt, because I uh, loved your story, how this all happened. And quite honestly, I didn't send that information, though, you know, it is what it is, and there's divine intervention here, and this story uh, needed to be told. And the story you're referring to was uh, from a book, The Smoky God, and it was about a a, um, two-year expedition by a father and son who went off course and ended up in an opening in uh, the North Pole area, which led them to uh, a land of giants where they were picked up on a large sloop, and they spent two years in the inner earth with these people before coming out. And upon coming out, they couldn't go the same way, so they had to go to the South Pole. And upon exiting the South Pole, the father and the son 
got knocked off into the icy waters in the ocean. The father perished, but the son there on the iceberg was picked up by a, a fishing trawler, a Scottish fishing trawler that picked him up. And upon telling his story about what happened, they put him in chains and uh, they took him back to a Scotland area. And in Scotland, what happened was he told his uncle about it. And his uncle, instead of giving him money for an expedition because he wanted to go back, they ended up committing him to an insane asylum for about 28 years. And upon leaving the insane asylum, all of his friends were gone, his family was gone, and he decided he would go to the life that he knew as a fisherman. So after working for a fisherman five years with another company, he made enough money to get his own enterprise going and ends up retiring uh, as a, a seaman and then coming to the United States and probably spent about 12 years in the Chicago area before retiring to uh, Los Angeles area and telling his story to uh, the author on his deathbed. Upon reading this story, I was enthralled by it, and I did the narration for it. I put it up on YouTube, and a number of years later, I was contacted by another fellow researcher, and he said to me, he goes, I feel a connection to the Olaf Jansen and his father. I said, how so? He says, I think I, I may have been one of them. So the mind is like a parachute. It only works if it's open. He says, can you do me a favor? He says, can you go back into the library and research this? Because you have the means to do it and find out, did this guy exist? Uh, is this story true? And what can you find out? So there I went back into the library, spent about three months researching it, and I was able to validate everything in the story from the book and even find the ship captain who picked him up and brought him back to, uh, to, to England uh, upon the return. So everything well, checked out. Well, now, how, how did you uh, substantiate this, uh, these claims? Did you uh, go to uh, records? I mean, you, you didn't just use YouTube to... I, I didn't use I don't use YouTube at all. YouTube is only a final product to upload a video to my site. None of my research is done by uh, appropriating somebody else's work. I went to the actual New York Public Library, went through genealogy records, border crossing records, birth records, and everything can be found if you go to uh, you know going that route that I went through, and then I went to. Uh, um, the Mormons books to find their records of births and stuff so it was a tedious process to figure this out but you know when all is said and done I was able to connect all the dots and for you viewers listening it's out there for you to see Smoky God Revealed and the Smoky God is out there as well where I narrated so you can listen to the book and then you can listen to the Smoky God Revealed and then if you like follow my research Try to duplicate what I've done, and you'll realize that, you know, it is a true story, and history is less one mystery as a result of it. Well, see, I found it intriguing that you actually, and you do uh, show that you went to, went to these places, and you do show some of the records in your video. I know. Well, yes, I do that for a reason, because there's been people trying to steal my research of my computers breaking into my apartments. So I said, you know what, I got to put up as much as possible in a video and show it in the event that something uh, is lost for nefarious reasons. It's out there for the world to see, and I'm the only one who could take it down. So a lot of my videos are very descriptive, showing exactly what I find, because I want to show people that if you do the work, the results will follow. So yeah, I am an investigative researcher. I take things and say, is the glass half full? 
or is it half empty? And I realized in this particular case, I'm glad that I had the wherewithal and the follow through to go back into the library to actually find out was it fact or fiction. And uh, I can tell you and the listeners now, it is definitely a fact. So, so Olaf Jansen was an actual uh, fisherman from uh, one of the Norwegian countries. Right? Exactly. And you said you even traced down the, the captain of the ship that yep. picked him up? Yes, his name. Yes, his name was McPherson, and uh, Angus McPherson, and it's there, and I found it in the Scottish records, so it's all there, and it listed him as a merchant seaman, so it was a bullseye, and the time frame was correct. Well, see, a lot of people think that story was nothing but BS, but your research actually proves that this guy actually existed. He was during the time period that the, that the book describes. He did come to America, he did live in Chicago, and he moved to California before he died. Exactly. I mean, I even had his telephone number from the Los Angeles telephone book that was uh, printed in 1907. So here it was, you know, just before his deathbed, I've got him in L.A. with a phone number and his address. (laughs) I find that intriguing. And refreshing because most people wouldn't go through all that trouble to, to, to pinpoint the facts down, you know, that you did. Well, you have to. If you want to change the paradigm, you have to to knock down all these existing make believe uh, fairy tale stories that they put out there and realize just because someone is tenured doesn't mean the story is true. Right. Yeah, well, I tell people a lot of times don't believe what I just tell you, do your own research. And, and I do stress that quite a bit on this show. I, I think we all need to, and it's the only way to, that we're going to get down to the facts of any kind of mystery. Uh, you do quite a bit of mysteries of uh, ancient Americas, too, don't you? Oh, definitely. I, uh, I spent time with the Native Americans up in uh, Washington State, California, Oregon, and I've been privy to some of the stories of oral history and been given the opportunity to go into sweat lodges and pray with them. So I've gained their trust, and I... I have their admiration, and uh, they are good people, and it's just a shame that that even today they are still on reservations and their stories are being suppressed. Well, uh, now, you, you did some research about uh, the reason they ended up on reservations that I thought was kind of intriguing. Well, yes, uh, Native American uh, chief from the Nisqually tribe uh, knew I was coming to Oregon, actually coming to uh, it was Olympia, Washington, to see a friend of mine. I wanted to start from uh, Mount Rainier and worked my way all the way down to all the mountain ranges to find out how many hollow openings there might be or to just learn more about what was really happening uh, in all those mountains. And uh, when I went to go see a friend in, in Washington State and what happened was I was on coast to coast and afterwards I was contacted and I decided I wanted to come out there. But when I did, I met a Native American chief who uh, knew I was coming and unbeknownst to my friend and said, I've got to meet him. He came over and he gave me uh, the oral history of the Native Americans in America and pretty much told me about Bigfoot, told me about the tall ones and uh, how his family had seen them, you know, canoeing and uh, fishing on the Squally River and that they did exist. And I had stories about Bigfoot where he was even known to steal food out of uh, smokers and another Native American would built a plexiglass cover over the, the smoker so that way when Bigfoot would see the salmon in the smoker, he would wait until it was cooked before he stole it. 
So I'm in I'm in the sweat lodges praying, and while I'm praying, all these Native Americans are praying for Bigfoot and explaining about why he hasn't been caught and just what their relationship is, you know, to Bigfoot himself. And the tall ones that he was referring to were Native Americans who were seven, eight, nine feet in height and uh, how long they were here on the uh, this continent and that the Bering Strait Theory was a lie. They were here over 40,000 years. So that land bridge story is blown out of the water because it's not true. But in order to get the biblical things in line with that, to get people to believe the lie, they had to change the timeline. As a result of it, they wanted none of the Native Americans to speak their tongues, and they got them into uh, boarding schools and told them, here's five books on religion. Pick one. We don't care which one you pick, but you've got to choose a religion. So my friend Jimmy would say, well, we tried them all. None of them work. So... <laughs> I, I, I laugh like as you're laughing because what he says was spiritual and it's true. <laughs> so uh, as a result of that, 270 reservations later, you know, you think about it. Next to every Burger King, there's a McDonald's. Right? And next to every reservation, there's a military fort or a base. Why? Because they want to make sure the Native Americans don't share what they really know. Because if they do, the white man will realize that not only have the Native Americans been fighting terrorism since 1493, they're still on reservations and they're being suppressed of their rights. And give you another case in point, if I watch a baseball game, am I supposed to get excited about watching the Cleveland Indians or the Atlanta Braves? How childish is this or the Washington Redskins? I mean, when are we going to give these people a break? And the reason, man, that we're still having a problem in this country with the karma is because what we've done to the first people of America. And this is my sadness today. And my research is that give these people back their dignity. You know, give them back their dignity. And most people would say, you know, for 10% of my income, give them back the country. Because so, they probably do a better job of running it than the people that have it now. Well, I'll agree with that because they, they lived in harmony with you. You know, they had their wars and their, you know, disputes and that. But in general, they lived in harmony with them. And that's what we don't do today. Well, we're destroying the planet today for capitalism. And it's a shame because there's so much that can be accomplished. There's a 80-20 rule. 80% of the world is ready, you know, to change in a positive way. But there's 20% that want to hold us back and keep us down and not allow us to, to raise our consciousness. And tonight I'm here to tell you that there's more of us than them. And when one person says, oh, one person can't make a difference. No, they can. I'm making a difference tonight by speaking to your audience, which is far over 20,000 people, and I'm empowering everyone listening to my voice tonight to do something different tomorrow and make a change in their lives. The only thing we can change is ourselves. Let's start working with ourselves and be a better person. Be kinder to other people. Lead by example. Don't step down to someone else's level. Raise the bar and realize that we don't all have to agree. We can disagree, but that doesn't mean hurting the other individual because they have a different point of view than I do. <laughs> Someone in the chat room said the person that uh, named the 
Washington Redskin was an Indian. <laughs> I don't know about that, but the point is, is he's, he's, he's right on with what he's speaking about. We, we don't give them the reverence that they deserve. They, you know, it just, it, it's sad. It is. They, they shouldn't have to live on reservations. Uh, they, they shouldn't have their lives controlled the way they do. But uh, it, it, it's happening. And it, it, it reminds me of what we've done to the uh, Japanese citizens during World War II. That's exactly right. Over 100,000 of them were in concentration camps because they didn't trust them, uh, you know, during that war. But yet they were citizens. They were, you know, they made it through the immigration process, and they were Americans at that point. How dare you do that to 100,000 people? Right. It's, it's kind of scary that that stuff could still happen. Well, we, we kind of sidetracked from the history we were talking about. Well, but now, now we're on to reality, though. Let, let, let's get back on, on, onto that a little bit. Uh, the, now, you, you spoke of the, the tall people. Now, we, we know all along the west co- or uh, east coast, we have the Adenis mounds and, of the, you know, the older mounds and that, and a lot of the uh, stuff that was uh, dug up was hidden by the, the Smithsonian. Uh, is there a bunch of that kind of stuff out west? I know nothing about out west as far as well, uh, tall people, other than maybe what they spoke of well, in the cave. I'll give you a story. Calaveras skulls. There was a Calaveras skulls that were discovered in the 1850s, and uh, these skulls predated uh, the Native Americans. They were large skulls of larger people, and all this information ended up probably in the Pacific Ocean, and the person who found it, uh, they made his life a a a misery, living hell, because he changed the existing paradigm that there were people here on this continent long before the Native Americans who were not Native American. Right. Well, I personally believe that, that we, you know, we had a global society at one time, and a lot of people call it Lemuria. You know, they, they speak of it as the continent Lemuria out in the Pacific. Uh, some people believe that the mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest was actually a part of Lemuria. Well, I can tell you, uh, I have a Lemurian connection. I'm in California, and a I was lecturing at the College of the Siskiyous, and a woman, about 88 years old, comes up to me. She says, I need to take you to see a man by the name of Kenneth McNeil. I don't know why I'm supposed to take you to meet him, but I only do what Spirit tells me. Would you go to meet him? So I said, fine. Two days later, I went to meet this man. He was 88 years old, living in a nursing home in Mount Shasta. And upon meeting him, he said, do you know why I asked to see you? I said, no. He says, you are my brother from Lemuria. So now I'm looking at him, man, and the hair on my back and my neck just raised, and I said, really? I said, so what was your name in Lemuria, and what was my name? We're brothers. He said, you promised not to laugh. I said, no, at this point, I'm not going to laugh. I said, so who were you? He says, my name was Kandu, and your name was Randu. We were brothers. We were shaman in Lemuria in those days. We were both um, men of mysticism, and I looked at him, and I was like taken back, and he says, behind you is Master Jesus, I see Saint Germain, and I see Adama, the high priest of Telos. Now, I can't see these people. I says, where are you getting this information from? He looks to his left and right, and he says, I have two guys here, and they're, uh, uh, one's name was Johnny, and the other name was, uh, I forget the other name right now, and he says, but they're with me at all times. I don't see them, but he's telling me about what I'm going to find while I'm in California, he says, when you find it, you come back and you show me. 
So I'm searching around to find anything. So I would bring him a, uh, a chocolate shake every time I would come. But one day I was praying with him, and uh, during the course of the prayer, he levitated above off the ground, and a friend of mine, we're all in a circle, and I had to bring him back down to the ground. The next day I get a phone call that he had been taken to the hospital and he broke some ribs. So I was going to Ashland, Oregon. They said, don't worry, he'll be all right. You can come see him when you come back down. So when I was up there, I heard a voice saying, uh, go get your prayer book, and it was Kenny. So I go get my prayer book. He says, I just crossed over, but I want to let you know. He said that uh, we'll meet again. He said, but every time you find a penny, I'll be there. So when I came down from um, where I was in, in Wairika, first thing I do, I, I find a penny. So one night, I get woken up 3 o'clock in the morning. He says, you got to go up to the mountain to St. Germain's Chair. And this is about 1,200 feet up on the mountain. It's real high up where I had to go. So finally I got there. It was a rock. I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I found uh, that I had been taken somewhere. And I felt that I, I went in to an opening or something, and I got to see some people. I won't talk too much about it, but when I came down from the mountain, I took off my hiking boots, and there was a shiny new penny in my boot. <laughs> in your boot? Yep. I did a YouTube video on that called Pennies from Heaven, so if anybody wants to see my story about pennies from heaven, I tried to document the story as best as possible about Kenneth McNeil, and he was uh, with Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth. A prophet group out of Montana and he came to Shasta and this guy had the ability to manifest money. If he, you wanted a hundred dollar bill, he'd open up his wallet and there'd be nothing in there. He then would open it up again and mysteriously a hundred dollar bill would appear. We need, we need somebody like that with that talent here at the station. Yeah, so I, I saw this and I go, I can't tell anybody about this because this is hard to believe. I said, Kenny, I th can you help me manifest money? He says, well, you got to do the work. So we started praying together, and then he died thereafter, and the levitations I, I mentioned happened. But that was my first tie-in to Lemuria. So as I was going around Mount Shasta, I had... Do you think this, do you think this other, other uh, sermon was, that you, you were brothers in another life with was on a higher vibrational plane than you are you were at that time yes is that why he was able to do these other things exactly he was just he he had done the work and uh even when i was in the room with him just before he died he was in his light body and what i mean is i'm looking at him and it was like he was less dense than i was and i could see there was something with him and i didn't know what it was and then the following day he died i realized that he was ready to ascend ascend because he told me the day before that I was hoping you'd come today because I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to be alive and I was ready to, to ascend, but I, I told uh, the masters that I wanted to stay around a couple of days longer. So he already knew that he was going to die and this was interesting. So I, I documented this with a movie and I made it pennies from heaven because I want to let people know there are things that are happening that there's just no explanation for and the only thing we could do is try to share those experiences with others who might be uh, that f far along on their evolutionary journey, spiritual path, so that way it'll help them as they go forward. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of why I do these shows. I hope I'm expanding this knowledge and spirit. The same, you know. I mean, I, we can't hope for much more. Well, you know, we can only change ourselves, and as a, as a result of changing ourselves, we're able to help others because we're all connected. 
So as soon as you realize that you are part of the the greater plan, you know, you are co-creator with Source, then anything is possible provided you do the work and you believe. If you believe it wholeheartedly, it should come to pass. So this story with me, California, going chasing this legend was interesting because when I realized uh, that there, there was a man who wasn't J.C. Brown, his name was uh, John Benjamin Body, and I was able to get a photo of the man, people would tell me when I showed it to them, do you realize he looks exactly like you? And I looked at it, I goes, he looks more like my grandfather. He says, no, no, Stefan, that's you. So I go back in the library, and I'm looking for more information. So I end up getting the border crossings coming into Mexico with he and Lord Cowdre, who I later found out was uh, Sir Wheatman Pearson of the Pearson conglomerate, and tied the dates in, they matched the legend exactly as was told to the Stockton Record in 1934, and I got... Before we get too far uh, ahead, tell everybody who uh, you're, you're speaking of it, 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 what what you found out. What okay. you're talking about is a legend of uh, right. Brown. Yeah, I'll set this up. What happened was, reading a story by from an Emily A. Frank book, it talked about a legend of J.C. Brown, where a man shows up in the editor's office in 1934 of the Stockton Record claiming to be a man by the name of J.C. Brown who was a geologist. And what he said was, 30 years earlier, while prospecting in um, the Cascade Mountain Range, he came across a funky-looking basalt um, foundation, a rock, that didn't jive with the, the area. So upon digging it out, what he found, there was a tunnel that led uh, three miles in, found gold, he found uh, mining paraphernalia from an ancient race, and as he went eight miles further, now he's 11 miles into the mountain, he comes into an area where he calls a little village with roundhouses and streets. In this village, he found uh, one room that had 27 skeletons ranging six and a half feet in height to 10 feet in height. He found an embalmed king and queen, which he believed were the king and queen of Lemuria, and that all there were like weapons there. They were made of gold and barium streamers and uh, um, crosses that were unfamiliar to him. Uh, and he said that the weapons could not be made today. The steel was tempered with uranium. And he said these people were highly evolved in this civilization. So what he wanted was to get people to come with him from Stockton, California, up to the mountains to be able to dig out what he found. And there was two rooms there that he would give the other people the artifacts that were there. He wanted to keep the king and queen, in, you know, uh, he wanted to keep that preserved, and he wanted to have all the other things sent to museums so that way they could document this because he believed he found the lost race of Lemuria. So for six what weeks, year was this? this was in 1934 that he shows up in Stockton, but he claims this all happened 30 years earlier uh, in 1904 while prospecting for the Lloyd Cowjay Mining Company. So he said he waited until after he retired to uh, to go and search for it or to get it, but he wanted to enlist the help of others. So for six weeks, uh, they were having meetings at a retired printer's house by the name of John Root. And after six weeks, on the day they were supposed to leave, on June 19, 1934, John J.C. Brown mysteriously disappears. They call the police in. Everybody's trying to figure out what happened, how much money he took from the people. And all they said was, 
We believed the man, but he mysteriously just got up and vanished, and there was no more to be seen of him or heard of him. So when I read this story, I became fascinated by it, and I said, you know, this is like a maverick. I want to go look all this up to figure out, could it be true, is it not true? This is a great screenplay for a movie. So I was writing the screenplay for the movie, which I wrote based on my research. I said, gee, I said, Hollywood would love this, especially if I can crack this case, then it would give me more uh, you know, credibility in this. So as I'm researching this, I came across who the, who the man of the, the company was, uh, Sir Lord Cowdray. And I found out that Sir Lord Cowdray was really born Sir Wheatman Pearson, and he was knighted in 1917. So when I found that out, I was able to get an autobiography from, on him. And in the auto, autobiography, he cited four of his engineers that helped build his empire. And once I saw one of the photos of the four men, I was like looking at myself in the book. So I made copies of the book, and I went back to the other library. I said, okay, now that I know the real man's name of the legend, and now I believe that I know who J.C. Brown really was, let me go through border crossings into the United States because I know these guys are British and that they came into the country and they just happened upon this and it was like by mistake. And what I ended up realizing is when I went through the border crossings, I found handwriting uh, samples from each man. I took John Benjamin Body's signature, looked at it once, turned it over on a piece of paper and wrote it. And when you looked at them, they were identical. So I did a video on that. It's on my uh, uh, site legendsandmystery.com to show that I have the identical handwriting of John Benjamin Body, who signed the manifest in 1904 and I'm signing it now a hundred years later or more and it's a bullseye. The photo that I put up, the reincarnation photo, I was in a studio in Michigan and we colorized the photo of John Benjamin Body, and then we got me to stand on a wall in the same angle as the photo was taken with John Benjamin Body, and then morphed me into his photo. And the photos line up, it's a bullseye. So, so you're the reincarnation. Absolutely. And to make it even more interesting, upon doing more research, he named his daughter Millicent. My mother's name is Millicent. <laughs> now that's odd. Yeah, and I'll make I'll get another one. It's not really a common name. No, Millicent is a flower, and my mother's British and Scottish. John Benjamin Body was also British and, and Scottish ancestry. So here it is. The universe has an interesting way of connecting the dots for me. To make it more interesting, he spends 25 years in Mexico where he had to learn Spanish because they built the, uh, the trans Isthmian Railroad in Mexico. And as a result of it, they, they found gold there. And he became a multimillionaire. So the guy who shows up in 1934 told the people in the town that if people knew he was a multimillionaire, they would kidnap him. They tried to kidnap him two times before. So here it is. I find a man who's worth $40 million in 1934, proving that I had every angle of the legend locked up. So uh, now, have you yourself gone look for this uh, mine? Yeah, I've, I've gone up to, uh, to California. I know where one of the openings were. What happened was right after I realized that I was he, I went into meditation for nine days, and I, I asked my higher self, well, how did you do it, John? And what I got was it showed me going through the Laredo, Texas border, coming up on the Pacific Railways, getting off the train at Dunsmere, and me and my boss, uh, Lord Cowdray, stayed at the 
the, uh, the Shasta Springs Resort. And while on the property, here we are millionaires uh, drinking the effervescent water of uh, Shasta in the mountain there. We on the property happened on this basalt, funky-looking uh, mountain there, and we dug it out on subsequent visits, and we found this inner city. So it was done there while we were on vacation. So I came back 12 different times to the Laredo border, border back up to Mount Shasta, and upon my times coming back up there, I could not come back over the border with all of the artifacts. So what we did was, or I did, I enlisted my family members to put the artifacts in the vault in the Laredo, Texas National Bank on Bernardino Avenue. Yeah, now, in this life, I contact the bank, which is now named the BBVA Bank, and I gave them my, my, my name, my date of birth, my family members, my in-laws' information to see if there was still a bank vault open in any one of our names. What I come to find out is that one of uh, my uh, relatives is still paying on a vault in that bank today. So now the question is, do I take it further? So the, how I figured out the legend was when I was up in uh, Stockton staying uh, there, no one knew where I was staying. I went to the federal shelter and stayed in there because I didn't want people to know I was a millionaire, but nobody knew that my in-laws, my wife, Mary Hammer, she had relatives on the same block there on San Joaquin Street. So like a half a block down from where the meetings were held in six weeks, I was staying in my in-law's house the whole time I was there in Stockton. So when I was able to hire a private investigator and look up uh, the, the names of the Hammer family, my in-laws, I come to find out that Stephen and his brother Robert Hammer still own a house on that same street where the meetings were held in 1934. Well, you, you sure haven't been idle, have you? You've done quite a bit of research into this. Oh, exactly. So I even sent a, a letter to the two brothers to fess up and say, hey, you know, you need to let the people know what you have that you're still paying on the vault there in Laredo, Texas. We need to see what the artifacts are. And I can assure you, this isn't like Geraldo Rivera's uh, Capone vault. They will find something there. In the legend, which people can find on my legendsandmystery.com website, I talk about it all, and it's documented. And once I contacted the Stockton Record newspaper, and spoke to uh, columnist Mike Fitzgerald. After proving this all to him and hiring the, the uh, private investigator, he then validated my story about a year and a half ago and said the legend of J.C. Brown has now been solved. Well, it sounds like you've got it all figured out, other, other than the actual pinpointing of where the tunnel is. Well, that's another thing. Uh, I've, done, I've met people who, who know where things are, but they're all on private property. And I will tell people listening, I won't go there because I won't go trespassing. Do I know things? Absolutely. But my goal with this story, The Legend of J.C. Brown, ultimately went to find a screenplay for a movie. But as a result of it, I went home to a past life. And because of it, I learned about another layer of myself. Well, I, I'll tell you, that, that's kind of eye-opening. I mean, if it happened to me, I'd be kind of freaked out. Now, the story about uh, the smoky god, a friend of mine believed that he was one of the reincarnated Jansons. So he asked me, please go into the library. He goes, you're a good researcher. 
I guess he pumped me up because I said, look, I'm, I'm going to be retired now. I'm not doing this. I did this story, but he goes, no. He goes, please reread it again. Do what you got to do and do what you do best. He goes, because I know you're going to dig something out of this. So I did, and uh, he feels better now because he felt he got closure because he felt an attachment to, uh, to that voyage, that father and son, and I'm glad I helped another soul in their journey. I kind of uh, resonate with that uh, Olaf Jansen story. I, I, I don't believe it's totally fiction, you know. I just, the way it's presented, all the information behind the scenes, like you, you've done done your research on it, and, and that kind of stuff, it just has, it rings with some kind of truth. Now, how much truth, you never know unless we actually find it. Well, here's what, yeah, I, here, yeah, here's what I can tell you, Med. Is that, and a couple of years back, someone asked me, well, how can we prove it? I said, I'll give you an easy way to prove it. I said, there's a Siberian orc that travels from uh, Siberia all the way to Antarctica and goes there to migrate in the winter. I said, all we need to do is take a, a camera, a webcam, you know, t- a GPS to this bird, because in the amount of time that it goes from, from Siberia to Antarctica, I believe it goes through the inner opening to come out in the southern end of it and makes the trip in half the journey. And by them putting a, uh, a camera on a GPS, we'll be able for once and for all figure out is there a hollow earth opening because animals are migrating north and not south in the they, winter. They, yeah, they, they have uh, tagged with uh, GPS on uh, birds and several of the, of the other animals and they all seem to disappear the closer they get to the pole. But I can tell you that once I, I propose this, all of a sudden, the Siberian orc and some other birds I mentioned now are on the endangered species list. Go figure. Yeah, well, that, like I said, they have done some get online. You can find where they talk about it. Now, I haven't uh, chased it down. It's just like hearsay off other people's website but that, that, that they have done this. Well, you know, here's a good story for they you. They do quit getting the signal after so far. Well, the well, here's another one for you. You know, uh, Eric the Red, who disappeared from Greenland, and he said he went a, a, a month further north to the land of milk and honey. The Eskimos said he went into inner opening. So he had like 10,000 people, and when 300 years later they came to Greenland, they found nothing there, no remnants of Eric even being there, no ships, no nothing, and they didn't know where he went. But the Eskimos said that he went into an inner earth opening, never to return. It sure ain't green at Greenland. <laughs> so, you know, another thing real quick, I'll just throw the sidebar. The U.S. government in 67, they took four nuclear warheads and they dumped them right off Greenland to blow a hole in the ice sheet. And for a year or two, they were down there with uh, submersible submarines trying to find their way into an opening there until finally... The country of Green- Greenland told the Americans they had to leave because they were doing things and they weren't sharing their findings with uh, the uh, Swedish people. We detonated four nuclear bombs? Yes. Now that I didn't know. I, mean, I, I have a website. I need to yeah, do some research Well, I'll give it to you. I have a website called hollowearth.webs.com. Hollowearth.webs.com. In there, I cite that story and a number, number of other stories about the hollow earth. And that site is basically talking about some of the stuff I've just shared in the last 20 minutes. But I want people to know that this stuff did happen. And as quick as they put it on the Internet, they want to 
make it disappear. And that's why I tell people, you have to read. You have to go to the libraries before they digitize everything and take it away from you to learn about American history or learn about things that they want they don't want you to know about. Well, what, yeah, once it's digitized, they can change and never know it. That's exactly right. You know, that's why the hardback books are so... So when I research things, none of the things I do, man, have to do with me finding something on YouTube or appropriating someone else's work. Anytime I even, if I found a song that I wanted to use as a, you know, a, just a sprinkling of an intro, I always gave credit where credit was due. Someone else's work, whatever, their time, their effort, because I always believe that you have to do the right thing along the way. And I only ask people to do their own work, investigate, take a look at what I'm saying. I'm not asking people to give me money. I'm not asking people to buy my book. If they go to my website, stephansandoni.webs.com, I got three or four books that I'm giving away as PDF files. So I'm sharing the wealth. I'm not asking anybody for anything. I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. But everything here that I share with you is through my own experience. What's that website again? It's my name, Stephan, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, S-I-N-D-O-N-I dot W-E-B-S dot com. I want to put it in the chat room. That's one of them I didn't have, one of the websites I didn't have. So that site there, I, I give away some things because I want people to know that I'm not a taker. I'm a giver, and I will continue to be that way while I'm still here on the planet. There are people who don't like the fact that I will not drink the Kool-Aid, and I won't apologize for that. I, I realize that there are a lot of things that just are too hard to believe. It's a stretch of the imagination, and unless you do your research or in some cases, walk a mile in somebody's moccasins, you'll understand why people are being oppressed or why the truth uh, quickly gets squashed and you never hear it again. <coughs> right. Uh, that website uh, that I posted in the chat room is good. I just checked it. Right, and the other website that I mentioned was hollowearth.webs.com. Hollowearth.webs.com. Right. And the third one I just made about a week ago, which is legendsandmystery.com. Yeah, that one I've been posting. So, I mean, I've got uh, about five different YouTube channels, which I won't even mention. All you have to do is just put my name in, in the search bar and the topic, and it'll appear. There's almost a thousand videos I've done in the last ten years there. So I've got a large body of work to draw from. People want to hear me on coast to coast I'm on their official website I must have, uh, I must have done a one oh I didn't put earth on it <laughs> sorry I'm talking to myself I'm trying to add not a problem no it wasn't Mars it was I, earth yeah <laughs> well make sure they get they can find what you're talking about and I appreciate you sharing that with your your audience oh that still didn't work it's www.hollowearth.web.com no no it's, right? it's I would put in http semicolon backslash backslash and then hollow earth dot webs dot com semicolon yeah and then hollow earth dot webs dot com well somebody doesn't want it to come up then how do you spell hollow h o l l o w 
E-A-R-T-H dot W-E-B-S dot com. Oh, I didn't put an S in it. Duh. That's all right. I'll, I'll get this right one one day. I, I should have got this from you earlier. Yeah, that's all right. You know what? I didn't realize you had, I didn't realize you had that many websites. Yeah. Well, that's the reason I have so many websites, I want to make sure that when it's all over, I got my two cents out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm so sorry. This page cannot be found. Huh. For so, some reason. Well, it, it, it's part of the course. But somebody out there who's in England or whatever, they, they try that URL, it'll work. I assure you that there's a website there. And these are some of the shenanigans, man, that I get that people either try to keep me off the air or not let people see the links to my websites to realize that I am the real deal. Well, uh, from what I've seen, you, you, know, you, you do the, the research, so, and that's, that's my point. It, I'm just going to remove that from the chat room, folks. I'm sorry. It just, you have not entered a message. No fooling, idiot. Well, like I said, HTTP semicolon forward slash forward slash H-O-L-L-O-W E-A-R-T-H dot W-E-B-S dot C-O-M, webs.com. So it's... That's, that's what I got. Well, I'm just letting you know, you got somebody, you got a gremlin out there not letting the people get to see, but they'll get to see it, maybe not during this live broadcast when it's over, they'll be able to get that link to work, but I guarantee you it's there. Or they can just go to YouTube, put in Hollow Earth and my name, Stepan Sindoni, and about 20 or 30 videos will appear. They're all on YouTube. Yeah, I, I, put, yeah, I put your playlist. Yeah, so, I mean, whoever is trying to do this, I would just say to them, God don't like ugly. <laughs> I hear that. You know, so I, I don't get mad, you know, and I don't get even. I just realize that I just do what, what I'm instructed to do and share the information. And for people that are tenacious who really want to know, they'll try again a different browser or refresh their browser, they'll get that link to work, or they'll figure out a way. I've got, as I said, almost a thousand videos on eight different YouTube channels, three or four different websites. Just a matter of putting my name in and a Google search in the right way, it'll all come up. We'll find it, believe me. Oh, I know people. People now have an insatiable appetite to learn more about what I've shared, because what I've shared is amazing findings that I don't have the imagination to make up. These are all things that I decided to follow up on research that were books, hard copy books, that I read them, followed up on them, used the, the computers to actually do the work to figure out is it true, is it not true, and then I'm sharing my findings. And then I even went out, as I said, in The Legend of J.C. Brown, and went on a 3,000-mile road trip to find these things. And uh, interesting things happened when I went out there. I knew where I was going without ever being there. I had a bunch of people with me, even a film crew with me, and I was taking them on a, a tour, and they said, well, if you've never been here, how do you know? And I just smiled and said, I know what I know. And that, I left it at that. You know, you believe what you want to believe. But one, of, one of our listeners out there got it, got it working in the chat room, so I got it now. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. There's going to be one, there's always one person who figure it out. Thank you, listener. I love you, brother or sister, because... Well, we, got, we got some great listeners now, i got to say that. Well, yeah, and I, I have a lot of respect for you. you know. They were interested. <laughs> That's good. Do what you got to do. I'll be right back with you. There, there's 139 people in our chat room. Wow, that's great. 
I'll be right back. Okay. Oh. By the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. <clears throat> Welcome back, folks. I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the show. I want to remind everybody we are totally listener-supported. Come on down to the home page of Revolution.radio and check us out. There's quite a few people in the chat room that are sharing links and talking. It's a nice place to meet like-minded people. And while you're there, you can check out the stuff that we have. Uh, you can get for donate money. The archives is an awesome deal. You can get about 36 hours worth of shows uploaded in a 24-hour period for six bucks a month. You just can't beat that. And the seed packs are pretty awesome. We're sitting, we're sitting here having a talk with uh, Stefan Sindoni, and we're, he's an independent researcher, and we're talking about. Uh, Let's see, uh, we talked about Mount Shasta, uh, J.C. Brown, uh, Lemuria, uh, Olaf Jansen. I, I just find this kind of talk uh, real interesting. And the amount of research that he pours into what he talks about is just unparalleled with most research. And I find it really rather refreshing from what you normally see on YouTube. So I wanted to talk to him, and he's been here talking with us. Uh, is there any particular direction you want to go with this now? Well, you know, we talked about Mount Shasta, and I want to just... Yeah, yeah, a little bit. We I, talk a whole bunch about it. We'll go back to it. Uh, one of my favorite places, as I said, I've been returning there this lifetime and the last, and and stories about Mount Shasta I've done on, on YouTube. I've got Legends of Mount Shasta, where I do a compilation of stories about it. I did a a TV show there at the college, at the College of the Siskiyous for a season because I wanted to pay tribute to a lot of the things about the area of Mount Shasta that I was either aware of uh, from my own experiences or through my research. But one of the stories was uh, about a man by the name of Abraham Mansfield that in 1934 claimed that he found a tunnel underneath Mount Shasta that led to the Bluff Creek area, which is probably about 75 miles, this tunnel. So there are tunnels that lead to and from the mountain and probably go much further than that that I'm even aware of, but there is an underground uh, railway system and there are even people who claim that there under Mount Shasta is a group of people called the Telosians and there's a city underneath Mount Shasta where they reside. So depending on who you ask, uh, you'll find out an amazing about amount of information regarding the Telosians, Mount Shasta, and uh, Bigfoot, and uh, uh, UFOs and things of that nature that in the, near that mountain. Before you get involved into a big story, can you tell our listeners about where Mount Shasta is? Okay, Mount Shasta. I'm sure there's some out there that have no clue where it is. Okay. It's probably 50 miles north of Redding, California. It's probably about 50 miles uh, south of the Oregon border. It's at the upper upper north end of California, just before you're leaving the state of California. It's probably about 60 miles from the coast, the, the Pacific coast, so it's inland. And uh, Mount Shasta is over 14,000 feet high in elevation. So it's one of the largest mountains in North America, 
I think Mount Rainier has a beat by about maybe 100 feet, and then Mount McKinley in uh, Alaska, in that area, is, is larger than that by a couple hundred feet. But it's one of the largest mountains, and it's uh, a non-active um, mountain. The volcano hasn't gone off in hundreds of years. And the Native Americans have their stories about it, and they won't go any further than the tree line because of what's happening on the mountain. They've got their stories about the greys and uh, the uh, fairies, the elves, and, and uh, elementals, and even the tall ones in the white robes who are seen from time to time on the mountain or who come into town. And I've well, even... Uh, do, do they regard this as a holy place or an evil? Well, it depends on who you talk to. It could be either or. Um, uh, the, uh, okay. the Lemurians are the ones that come out. There is some, I mean, there's a fellow who, who I met, name was Brad, that he went from San Francisco to meet me up in Dunsmere to talk about his experience with someone coming out of that basalt rock formation that I mentioned of. It looked like a, a foundation in the, the book of, uh, or the movie, Indiana Jones, and a guy with a, a white flowing robe about seven feet tall that he and his daughter encounter and said to them, you have just found the back door to tell us, would you like to come in? So he's, this guy scared the bejesus out of Brad and his daughter, and they said, no, thank you very much, and, and they turned around. He mysteriously was gone. So this changed his life. He put it up on uh, the Weather Underground on a, a web page that he had, and he did a little annotation about it. So I contacted him when I was in Dunsmere, and he came up, drove 300 miles to meet me, and we hung out and talked about it, and we even filmed it. I... I've got a clip on it, but I haven't put it out because I was having a difference with someone who I was uh, producing this movie with who turned out to be uh, someone who saw creative differences in my view of, of um, our footage. And so the movie hasn't been released yet, but I've got it. But I, I'll still tell the story. So there are things that are happening, and there are people who... Now, Brad's about 75 years old, so I don't think he wanted to go to meet the maker without telling somebody his story. And that's kind of why he sought me out and drove 300 miles. So when somebody does that, you have to take them seriously. And he said the man spoke with a slight British accent. So these rope figures have been seen throughout Mount Shasta area. And there are many stories about that. And there are even rumors that President Grover Cleveland signed a treaty with the, with the Telosian people of that mountain. Now... I'm sure if I was able to get into the archives of Washington, I might be able to find that treaty. But I'm sure they've got that treaty buried somewhere deep in the Smithsonian, so I'd never find it. Well, yeah, the Smithsonian is, is noted for hiding historical facts, you know. But I, I don't, to me, it's seven foot, not a giant. You know, I, my great-grandfather was seven three. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you. That's not a giant well, a giant to me is is the artifacts that J.C. Brown. That's pretty tall. That's pretty tall now. Yeah. You know? Well, especially for for an Indian. Well, so, you know. Well, so, so, I mean, the, the artifacts that J.C. Brown found, they were six and a half to ten feet tall. All these skeletons. So here, that's a tall tale there. So that cannot be disputed to have you know ten feet tall individuals because no one today is of that height. So you have to, you know, say to yourself, there's something to this. Seven foot... Ten, ten foot's pretty tall now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seven foot, we can watch a basketball game and find, you know, half a dozen guys who, who uh, meet, meet that height requirement. 
So that's not a stretch of the imagination. But 10 feet tall, like you say, is a tall tale. But the Native Americans claim that their people, you know, the, the tall ones were eight and a half feet or larger. And uh, now when you take into consideration the time period, I mean, people back in the 18th and 17th century, the average person was no bigger than five five. So seven foot would seem to be a giant. Oh, I agree with you. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. So you look at this, and when you hear stories like this, or you hear uh, accounts like this, it does make you wonder, well, if this is true, then why don't we know more of it, or why is this information not ready, readily available, because this should be in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Smithsonian Men in Black. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I'm in California looking around, and um, I had men come up to me and tell me that uh, they got a bullet with my name on it, and that if I keep talking about this stuff, uh, I'm going to meet the maker. So uh, I take this seriously. Well, I would if I were you. Do you have any plans on going back to Mount Jackson? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I plan to go up this summer. And for anybody listening, I'm bringing my taser with me. So. I think I'd bring more than a taser. Yeah, well, you know, I'll give him a little te- yeah, tease of it. pretty big <laughs> I'm kidding. No, actually, I'll, I'll have about. There's, there's even legends about the bears. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, you know that I found found awful interesting. The bears there were actually more human-like to begin with. Well, you're exactly right. Cursed, cursed and feet. I I just finished a uh, a a fourteen-week shaman course with a Native American elder uh, out of Colorado who's out of Shasta. He's got a sweat lodge there right by the college, and we became friends and. uh, I just went through my shaman training, so now I'm officially able to do some of this shamanistic work that I might have probably done uh, in Lemuria and other lifetimes that, that be, when I was previously here, but now I do have more spiritualism under my belt, and I realize I have more things to, to share with people in a spiritualistic way, and uh, so I, I do know that I'm now tied more connectedly to my spiritual side, but yeah, I'm going back to Shasta, and I'll have my entourage with me, and uh, I'm going to bring my love and light with me, and uh, you know, share it with with others, and share you know my experiences, and touch people, their minds, their hearts, and their souls, and let them realize that if you've had experiences and you don't understand them, you know, and share them with me because I'm no different than you. There's things that we're all, you know, waking up to. And realizing that it's not a hallucination, it's not a dream, it's not not far-fetched. It's your inner self bringing things to the surface and letting you know that this is just some of your evolution that's being um, brought out, you know, to you. Well, I I, I, I tell you what, the, these uh, they went through back years ago and they killed quite a few of the shamans. Uh, shaman, however you pronounce my old southern lips, mess it up all the time. But uh, you, you don't think that this might happen again? I mean, it was like in the 70s and the 80s. They killed quite a few of them here in North America and in South America. Well, the way I look at it, if we're on prison planet, we're on an evolutionary planet, then you'd be coming back again to finish your work. Uh, even Jesus, when he talked about uh, that he was born again, he was Elijah before him, other prophets before that. You know, God uses certain people and chooses them to come back again to finish undone work. So if that be the case, it'd be coming back to just uh, continue your uh, 
your your reincarnative process and for those of us who evolved we get a passing grade and we move on to higher education or higher ground in that particular case so whatever happens and we're just part of the plan and I just listen to what spirit tells me as when one friend uh, who I mentioned earlier in this interview told me and I just listen to the guidance and I will know what to do next the difference um, may add between knowledge and wisdom is only knowing what to do next. So I just listen to the guidance and I'll know if there's another story coming out of me, if there's another interview, if there's something I need to share. And at that point, I will. Since you met your your, uh, brother from uh, past life, has your frequency increased? Do you see these beings now or... Well, what I, what I get, I'm auditory. What I get is I get to hear things, and I get to hear some people come in certain situations, and then they'll show me something, and I'll get a visual of what I'm supposed to do. So I'm more auditory. Do they show up in front of me in, as an image? No, I don't get it that way. I get it auditory, and then they'll, they'll show me a picture, like it's like a movie projector of what I'm supposed to see, or they'll give it to me in my dream state, and I wake up and I'll start writing down what I get. A lot of the times I might be in my dream state when I get it because I ask to receive it that way. Or the first hour when I wake up, man, is when I get it. I have a pencil and paper with me and I'll just write down. I quickly start writing automatic writing what, what I'm getting. And then I ask, you know, who's giving it to me? And they'll tell me who it's given to me. And sometimes it's my uh, spiritual guides and sometimes it's people who have crossed over who are not here who want to tell their tale. Sometimes it's people who were killed, who were strangled, who were, who were uh, murdered. And I guess they're in limbo. They haven't crossed over. You know, they probably stayed in the Bardo too long and now they want to get out. And, and sometimes people don't realize that they're dead. Or like that movie in Ghost, you know, like, I'm not supposed to be here, whatever. So you get to realize sometimes people caught in transition or limbo, as I'll call it, and they want to get to somebody who is a psychic intuitive and give it to them and say, do, do me a favor, help me out. You know, people need to know that I was murdered, whatever. So I can well, tell you, do you... Do you ever help them out or do you send them in the yeah. right direction? I send them in the right direction. I'll give you one right now, and some of you can research this. There was a man by the name of Phil Oaks. And he was a, a country singer who was a social activist during the 60s, friends of Bobby Dylan, and he was opposed to the war, uh, you know, the Cuban uh, catastrophe, the Castro thing, and then Vietnam. And it ended up, Phil ended up, <clears throat> uh, they said it was a suicide, and uh, he died in his sister's house in uh, Rockaway, Queens, which is here, not too far from where I am. And when I read this, I read the book, all of a sudden, I was playing his song because, okay, let me get one of his albums. And it stopped. And all of a sudden, I heard him say, I got a message for you. You got to get it to my friend. And his friend's name is Jim. I'll just say Jim. And Jim was in Florida, and they were folk singers together at uh, Ohio State College. So somehow I got a hold of Jim. And I said, Jim, I got a message from Phil. So he thought I was, like, pulling his leg. So I told him. And, and he happened to be in Dealey Plaza the day of the Kennedy assassination. So he got to see what happened that day, and then they planted him in the Texas theater, and he got to see that there were two Lee Harvey Oswalds, not just one. They had a look-alike and a real one. So he shares this with me and even tells me where I can find photos of all this stuff. So I tell Phil, 
told Jim about Phil. He goes, I don't know if I can believe this. I said, here's what he's telling me to tell you. Pick up your guitar and put your, your finger on the E string, close it off, and keep hitting the high note E. Do it about nine times. He's going to give you messages to the, your guitar on the 12-string high E because Phil's telling me that he taught you and you taught him how to play guitar, and you guys were like uh, duos playing guitars. And I blew him away because I told him, I said, I'm hearing this note, and this is what he's telling me to tell you. So when he went and researched all the things that I got from Phil, he realized that I could have only got it from Phil. I couldn't have got it from books or you know, from the people who were there in Dealey Plaza that day. And uh, but he wanted his friend to know that he didn't suicide, that he was killed by uh, now, the Contra Pro people, or the men in black, and they wanted to keep him silent because he was going to go public as to uh, what really happened that day in Dealey Plaza. Wow. Well, we know that whatever happened there didn't, isn't what they told us. <laughs> that's for sure. So that's like one of the times where somebody's come through to me. I had other times where I'm driving in a car, and I was driving at the time in Northern California, and this was when Michael Jackson was going through his troubles and he just crossed over. And someone asked me, uh, could, you, could you bring in Michael Jackson? I said, well, if he wants to share a message with me. So for a half an hour, Mad, I'm driving the car. Now I'm driving about 35, 40 miles an hour to all these small towns in the eastern end of California to the mountains coming down. And the whole time I'm communicating, or Michael Jackson's communicating through me, and every time a light would change, the light would keep changing. I didn't stop for one traffic light in 40 minutes, and I got the whole Michael Jackson transmission to a friend of mine who uh, was taping the whole thing. So yeah, people can come in to me at times, and I'll share it, but I don't volunteer to people, oh, I can do this, and I'll just say, like my Native American friend says, well, they say that I can, and I'll just leave it at that. And John River. And even Joan Rivers came to me most recently. I, my, my friend just, uh, just brought to my attention when she crossed over and she told me to, to look into her story and why they killed her or whatever and come to find out. You know, she was silenced because uh, she made the reference about Barack Obama being gay and Michelle Obama being a transgender. And next thing you know, she's not with us on the planet. So, and even Ted Kennedy came to me uh, and uh, told me about why he was silenced at Barack Obama's uh, inauguration. He didn't die until about eight months later, but he made the mistake when they asked him, well, how did Barack Obama win by so many votes? And he says, I don't know. You're going to have to ask Osama Obama about that one. So <laughs> he put it out there that Barack posed as Osama bin Laden. I even have a video up showing the palm prints of Barack Obama and Osama bin Laden and the palm prints match. So the odds on somebody having the same palm print, man, is 64 billion to one. So you got a president nicknamed the Renegade, who's posed as Osama, and to make it make it even funnier, I'm, I make a joke of this one. I even sang a karaoke song about it, and uh, there's a song called Rumors. And for eight years, the public was was fooled that Michelle Obama was the first lady in the White House. Well, she's actually the first hombre who still hasn't got her sex change and uh, will probably have to do it if she runs in 2020. So these are the kind of things that I get. And then I get Barack Obama writing me a letter, you know, when I go in public with this, 
Because I said, gee, you know, I got grandkids. Do I want my grandkids voting for a transgender? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I personally, I believe it is what you say, that uh, she was a, or is a he. Oh, she's still a he. You know, I mean, well, here's the thing. They, they got this transit, transit, uh, gender. gender stuff down pat, especially with uh, a lot of the we stars. Oh, definitely. Right now, Alex Jones talks about how they're having these parties all over the United States with these transgender men, you know, at these little kids' uh, functions, events, you know, having little kids touch them and everything. So this is all set up to go this route. And the reason I'm bringing this up, like I said, because it's wrong. And the Bible, all the Bible is talking about, it's an abomination. All of a sudden, you know, to get bogus, it's okay. Well, no, it's not okay to dress that way, to act that way, to behave that way. It's just wrong. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm old school, and I believe that when, when God created Adam, created Eve. He didn't create Adam and Steve. He created Adam and Eve. And before there could be a homosexual group, there had to be a, a, a couple that was a regular couple to create and procreate to allow them to have this crazy damn behavior. So right now, Michelle Obama has a book out called Becoming. Now, that would be a proper title if Bruce Jenner had that as his book, because we know what he's becoming. But it's interesting that, that Michelle Obama would choose that title. And also on the cover of the book, she has her hand draped around her throat so she doesn't have to show the Adam's apple. Now, if it walks like a duck, man, and it quacks like a duck, it's got to be a duck. But I'm not going duck hunting. But I'm just sharing with you what's wrong with America. So people like me, I get a target on my back or people say, well, if you say it, you know what I mean, we're going to... We're going to end your life. No, you're not going to end my life. I'm going to end the people's lives who have fooled all of us for the longest time, and they're going to have to leave. When they talk about building a wall, you know, I'm going to tell Donald, you know what? It's not the Mexican people that are bad. It's 15, 20% of the, of the people who control us are the bad ones. The other 80%, there's nothing wrong with the general people. All they want to do is get an extra $100 in their paycheck a week, take care of their families, make a better life, than their parents gave to them. What is wrong with that? I think nothing. Oh, I fully agree. I, I, personally, I'm old school too. There's only two sexes, regardless. Of all the other ones are ab aberration of them too. You know, you know, you, you go back, even some research, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm getting coached here now. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, for example. I mean, how many Gentiles do you know by the name of Abraham? None. Abraham was Jewish, you know, the first Jewish president, and now you got Trump. And interesting thing about Trump, he lives in Palm Beach, uh, Florida. Eighty percent of Palm Beach, Florida, are all conservative Jews. So where he lives is a Jewish community, a gated community. The only people who are not Jewish are their servants and people who have something to do in the, in the service industry in the town he lives in. So when Puerto Rico was going through their their hurricane. He waited eight or nine days until the Jewish high holidays were over because both of his children are married to conservative Jews. So then when he gets to Puerto Rico, what does he do? He takes a roll of bounty toilet paper and he throws it at the people who are in need of his help. To me, that's some condescending behavior to someone who thinks he's better than other people and, and it's wrong. But I'm outing him right now. He's a Jew. That should come forward and say, you know, I'm Jewish. But if had he told people he was Jewish, they wouldn't have voted him in. Well, I, well, I don't have a person. 
Well, right now, one of the things I like that he did, you know, being I mentioned him, I like the fact that one of the first things he did coming in office, that he struck down all the tra transgender bills that Barack Obama had put in place. Well, like I said, I'm not friends. There's only two sections. You know, <laughs> you know so what we... Sorry, that's just, that's just, that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. But to tell me <clears throat> that it's right, no. You can't make my mind. I, I'm, I will never believe it's right. And I don't think that people should walk that way just to, it's going to mean a paycheck to be in Hollywood or to be chosen like on, on the, the casting couch like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, my, my Lemurian brother, uh, Kenny, worked in, um, I guess, uh, McDonnell Douglas would have aircraft the facility on the second ship with Marilyn Monroe, and they would put in rivets for air, on the airplane wings. And he was trying to be an actor, and she was trying to be an actress, and they discovered her in a drugstore, but he was also an ice skater, and he was a, a stuntman for uh, the Wild Wild West, the Robert Conrad TV show. And he had a relationship with Marilyn Monroe, and I learned from him things that you could only know as if there was first-hand knowledge and why, for example, Joe DiMaggio was heartbroken with Marilyn Monroe because she didn't want to have children. And the reason why she didn't want to have children because she didn't want to have conventional sex. So he was heartbroken that she would never give him a child because he would never be able to, to vaginally have sex with her. And these are things that you're not going to know unless you're speaking to people who are in the know about these things here. So, you know, Marilyn, unfortunately, she heard things, she saw things, and she wanted to tell people things about the Kennedy assassination, and she's another one, like Joan Rivers, who is not here as well. So, Marilyn, Joan, if you're listening, I love your sisters, and hopefully after this performance of me talking about some of these things, if I do cross over, I'll be in good company. <laughs> I, I don't think I have to worry about that. He, uh, I, I find that all this stuff uh, fascinating. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, uh, you about your past life. Uh, do you remember anything about being in Lemuria? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I remember being in uh, Lemuria, and and where it was, uh, it was uh, near. I guess Australia, we were situated on the southern tip there. It was, a lot, it was very mountainous, and I, it, it resembles so much of California, the mountain area. Lemuria was very lush, it was very green. And I remember some of the temples that were there. I remember being dressed in a white robe and, and a little, little cap. And uh, it was interesting, I just did my, uh, my shaman courses with a Native American in Mount Shasta, and through my shaman uh, vision quest, I learned that my partner right now was my sister in Lemuria, and she was also a shaman. So it's interesting that I've been doing spiritual work with someone who I've known for thousands of years. Well, I, I've talked to several people that their spouse, you know, with them in past lives. True love always finds a way to come together. Well, that's exactly right. I can't explain a lot of this. I can just try to share my experiences of it and people can take away what they want from it. But I work a lot with crystals, and for anybody listening, I've got videos about crystals and how you can energize uh, yourself through the use of crystals, and that'll help open doorways and gateways to uh, your previous embodiments. Yeah, well, I fully believe that. I, I'm, I got me a, a Himalayan salt lamps to me. <laughs> 
that I use all the time, and I got crystals laying in front of my certain semi-precious stones, I believe, being connected to the earth. So it makes a big difference how you, you know, have an outlook on it. Well, you know, just the fact that you have all these things, a lot of these things were d developed in Lemuria and brought to uh, Atlantis and uh, civilizations thereafter. So you very well might have had an embodiment in Lemuria as well, and you're just starting to, to realize that, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm, I understand some things. I, I'm, I'm, I'm driven to these Perfect. things. Personally, I've never, I've never read anywhere else. It's my first time. I know that it's a knowing, not a. It, I, I don't know how to explain it, but this is the first time I've been here, and I was talked into coming here at this particular time to do what I'm doing here at the station. Well, I, I believe, I believe you're Wait, right. Yeah. So put information, connect the other people, people to with other people who would never be able to be connected without my help. Well, I, I realize that because here it is. I mean, I mentioned Gordon, and I didn't know that you were, you know, you were the head guy on the network here, and and lo and behold, you get a phone call that I didn't make. So here it is, divine intervention. Well, I'm not the head guy. I'm just the studio. <laughs> well, you know that's, that's high enough. Anyway, but you're a man in a position there, and so it makes me realize that there are no coincidences in life. I just know that as we go through this journey. I am finding out things, it's like an onion, I keep unraveling another layer, another layer, another layer, and learning more as I go, and just being open-minded and accepting what I'm learning, and being the conscious observer to my own experiences, and just sharing those experiences with other people along the way. Right, well, without that recording, you know, that message that was left on one of the managers' Skype, I would have never even thought of interviewing you. You know, so I, I believe it was a destiny that we was meant to have this little conversation. Oh, I'm fully a believer of that. There were no coincidences, man, and I realized that this was all predestined, and I just follow what Spirit tells me, and you did the same thing. You you follow along as a detective would follow along his hunches and just say, I just follow the clues wherever they go. And that's kind of what I do in my research. I follow the clues, but... I'm guided by a, a higher power to actually give me more information than I probably would normally get if I wasn't open to receiving things. Well, I tell you what, you do a heck of a job at researching. I, I, I really uh, impressed with how you went about finding out your, uh, your, your, you know, connecting the dots where most of them don't. They just, you know, start throwing away, uh, throwing together YouTube videos from clips from other YouTube videos, you know, and you didn't. No, I'll, I'll never do that. I, I won't cheat myself and cheat other people of getting the facts and the information right. I want to be different than anybody else, and I am different than anybody else. I have my own You're not creating clickbait. Right, right. I have my own niche, and I probably have my own following that, that, that when I go on a plane or I go on a train, they hear my voice, they go, I know who you are, or if I go into an Apple store... And I'm recognized, or someone will come up to me and shake my hand and say, you know, you're a good man. Thank you for, for the work you've done. And to me, that's all that matters. If I get one person and it changes their life, then it's, it's, it's been a good day for me. It's been a good life. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm in service to help other people in fellowship to make this a better world that we all live on because we all have to live on this planet together. And we all have to stop the madness some way, somehow, and we can't buy into it, we can't feed into it, and we can't allow it to consume us and to put us in fear and, and put the bug in our ear. Well, 
much do you know about uh, government influence with mind control? Have you done any kind of research into that? Well, I've experienced it. I, I know what they do. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the dream state, they'll put dreams in your head where you're being arrested or you have uh, a bad thing happen to you. You're driving a car backwards and the car will like crash and you weren't even driving it. They'll make you think thoughts that you're not worthy, you're not good. And a lot of times when I wake up, I'll just have to clear my energy, I'll get some sage, and I'll just tell them they have to leave, they can't stay here. And I realize that you know there is a group of people who are doing these things, and a lot of this stuff is being done by the Israeli Mossad, who are here in this country posing as uh, uh, pious Jews wearing all black, and you think that they are religious people, but yet they all have handheld devices, and their job is to infiltrate America and get the information so that way they can know what's going on, insatiable appetites, and when someone doesn't drink the Kool-Aid, they have, Israel now has a, um, a software where they can target any cell phone, any, any, any app, and open it up, and they can do whatever they want, and there's nothing that you can do to stop them. They have listening devices, listen to everything I'm saying now, and you realize that when you try to bring this out to the public, because they own the media, because they own law enforcement, the judges and whatever, you don't have a shot against people like this because they own all the large corporations. So until we have people in the private sector who buy all these things up and take them out of power, then we are doomed to uh, an existence of having to skirt around this, though we know it to be true. Well, I, I know that uh, uh, Israel does have this uh, ability to tap into uh, just about any kind of communication device. They've actually even sold some of our information to uh, China in the last year and a half, and we have done nothing to it, yet we still support them. Well, that's why I say to you, when you understand who's running this country, I'll give you an example. This is a good example. And uh, my mother's Jewish, so I could say this, and my father's Italian. So on, uh, on holidays, I was so confused, I took a half a day off. So, so what, what I learned in all this, for example, living in New York, there were 800,000 uh, Hasidic Orthodox Jews that got welfare. And, and there was 140,000 vouchers that were given out. This was last year. None of the black people, Spanish people, or the battered mothers got them. They gave all the vouchers out to the, to the religious Jews. And as a result of that, it came out in the paper, and the second day it was gone. But when you have, like, Chuck Schumer, you know, the, uh, the senator you know, uh, who has dual citizenship, to allow these things to happen is wrong. I mean, they are not God's chosen people. And if you try to say something... They say, oh, you're a Jew hater. No, I'm not a Jew hater. I'm a Jew myself. My mother was a Jew. How do I hate my own mother? But what I don't like, Mad, is people hiding behind, you know, their, uh, their religion and saying, oh, no, we're holier than thou. No, you're a criminal and you should be put in jail. But they can't be put in jail because the lawyers and the judges are also of the same persuasion and the politicians. So until we, we say to voting people in, no. You cannot have a dual citizenship to another company and be a congressman, senator, or a president of the United States. 
We, we will not allow that to happen. And when people put I, that... I fully agree with that. We have so many senators that have good ships, and I think that's a conflict. Yeah, you know why? Because that's, that's treason. They come out and they give out these yeah, secrets. It's yeah. treason. You and I, they would shoot for that. Then they yeah. give them a bonus. Yeah, it, it's really sad. Uh, do, you, uh, do you think we're headed for uh, bad times? Do you think we can pull this off and well, start changing what's uh, going on? I think, well, the but first by, thing. By doing stuff like we're doing, I think about higher selves and stuff like that. I think that's the answer. It's what I call the soft parade, man. You know, we have to get together and do it in a non-violent fashion and realize that we have to turn the light on. We have to turn the light up. And these people that are of this energy, they can't, they can't, you know, uh, be in that light. You know, they can't hold that vibration and they'll go away. I mean, just these black helicopters I see on a regular basis, I send them love and light. I, I put a pink rainbow around it, a rainbow of light saying, I love you no matter what. Because there's a duality. There's the good and the bad. You know, is it is the glass half full or is it half empty? Is it lemonade or is it lemons? That depends on how you, Mad, spin it. I spin it that everything is good, there's nothing bad, and that everything happens for a reason. So if I have something happen, it's for me to see it from a higher vantage point as the conscious observer. It's okay, how can I help Stefan out to see this in a way where he doesn't get emotionally attached to the situation? and do something stupid that's going to affect his life where they may arrest him for something he did, not what he says, because right now we're still able to say what we can want to say. So you, my friend, have a great platform to allow people like myself to spew, and I talked about legends and all this other stuff, but when you talk about where the world is going, this is what I saw. And uh, when it was time for Trump to run, Back in 2010 or whatever, I created a website, Trump for President, and, uh, and a landing page. And then the next thing I hear, uh, his lawyer talked about, he talked Trump into doing it. No, he didn't talk Trump into doing it. I built the website long before he told Trump. And I went to the Trump Towers and left messages that he should do that. So I put the bug five or six years ago in, in the ear of him to do these things. Because I realized that God has sent someone to help the rest of us. So Trump is God's messenger. Whether you like him or not, you know, he's here to clean up the mess. And he's going to. He will get, you know, so at that point, three months before the election, like September, I put up a video that Trump was going to win the election. Now, so I already knew that he was going to win it. And I told a couple people, they go, really? They go, yeah, but I said, no, no, he's already won. So he ended up winning. So that was one another prophecy that I had. Another thing that I see is that he will be reelected uh, as president because everything that's happening with this Robert Mueller thing, or Mueller, whatever you want to call himself, was all just like a dog and pony show. When I came back from California in 2010, after I outed Barack Obama for not having a uh, legal birth certificate and being the son of uh, King Bumbleball of Thailand, he was a prince. I had Mueller following me in front of Madison Square Garden. So I realized that, gee, I must be on the right track because they're trying to protect Obama. And here it was, I put him out in the street like a cat in the night. And I realized that Mueller right now has got egg on his face because he couldn't get the job done. Because Trump is like John Gotti was. He's the Teflon Don. It just rolled off his back. And he's going to win another term. And unfortunately to say... Uh, we may only have 45 presidents in this country. 
because I think the time, like every empire has a time of crumbling, like the Roman Empire, the British Empire, and all the other empires as well. So the shelf life of America as we know it will probably only be around another four to five years, and there will be a new shift, whether it be consciousness, whether it be in government, or way of doing things, I think we are going to evolve as a people and not allow these controllers to continue doing what they're doing and it will be as a result of shows like yours of having people on who have the guts and the courage to share their truth and more and more people will raise their vibrations as a result of it we will change the existing paradigm on prison planet earth Here's a little bit of history. Most countries very seldom last more than or 250. That's the average for a government in countries throughout the world. So, I mean, there has been exceptions, you know, the Roman Empire and, you know, a couple others. On the average, it's 250 years for, for a, a regime maintaining control. So we're right at that, you know, we're just past that. Yeah, we're on the cusp. We're on the cusp. And what I think is what I alluded to earlier the karma in this country is very bad because of what happened to the Native Americans and what has continually happened. Until we cleanse this pariah, this, this terrible thing that's happened, you can't move forward to the future if you don't recognize the past and deal with it in the present. And we have to, as a people, say it's wrong. What can we do to solve this now? It's wrong. It's wrong, wrong. We've got, we've got the other problem with the wall, building the wall. You know, saying that, you know, all these people coming in, whatever. But the, the truth of the matter is that it's been going on for far too long, 20 years or more. And if they really want to build a wall, I'll give up my Social Security so they could build that wall around the District of Columbia. <laughs> well, that's not even part of America. It's a city-state. Well, that's exactly right. And, and based on what you're saying, when they first talked about the Federal Reserve and giving, turning in your gold and everything you had, they were telling people just in the District of Columbia, so they tricked the people in 1933 in every state to turn it in and said to them, now your money is going to be uh, guaranteed by a note. So here it was. They stole, you know, the tangible things that people had, the assets, on the precept that this was just the District of Columbia. And uh, here we are, you know, you know, almost 100 years later, 1933, and we're still being robbed, uh, you know, uh, as I speak. And it's just wrong. And if you look in the phone book, you look at the IRS, you know, they're not a government agency. You know, Federal Reserve, they're not a government agency. You find them in a the public phone book. Why? No, they are out of, they're out of Puerto Rico. Exactly. You know, so <laughs> they, you know, and they, you know, and all the money. Where does the... Thing, because it's because of the name, people confuse it because it says federal. They assume that it's part of the government, just like... Uh, uh, Federal Express. It's a privately owned company, you know. So when you look at all this, you know, you say to yourself, like, where are we headed? So the only thing I could do is work on myself. Like today, <clears throat> I had my cell phone hacked, so I had to go to T-Mobile and uh, correct that, have it reset, whatever. And then <clears throat> I go to the library because I wanted to read my email to see if you had sent me something. So I don't even have <clears throat> internet at home because. Wi-Fi is SpyFi, so I got to go to a public library if I want to check an email. But that's okay because it gives me a day to go out and take a walk. But while I was out after doing that, I said, well, let me go to the Social Security office. And I did, found out how much I'm eligible for. 
And I told the woman, I says, uh, is there a form I can fill out because I want to forego my Social Security? She says, what do you mean? She says, you don't want your money? I said, no, I want to give it to the government. They need it more than me. So she says, well, you don't need a form for that. She said, but you have another four years until you're 70 where you could still get it. Well, I said, well, how much money would I get now? And they told me the figure. I said, well, you know what? Being there's no form, then I just won't collect it. I said, but I just want you to know this country is headed in the wrong direction. And though I work for that money, and I, I do deserve it, you know, I don't need it. She looked at me. She said, what do you do? I said, that's not important what I do. I don't need it. And I walked out, have a nice day. I don't collect Social Security. I'm not going to. I mean, I have no part of it. I want no contract with the government. Well, you know what? That's why you call me and we're on the phone. Because how many people, brother, are like you and me? Very few. Oh, we've got some like-minded people around the station. <laughs> okay, so, th so there's a small group of people that are probably growing as I speak. And I realize, you know, it's just not worth it. When you take the money, you take what you've got to go through, the hoops you got to go through. Oh, now I got to go to jury duty or I got to do this, I got that. No, I don't want to do anything. I don't want anything in the mail. I just don't, I just want you to leave me alone, you know. Uh, you know, when you get hacked as much as I do, I go to California, I come back, and I got people who can validate this. I have three of my Apple computers that are fried and all the motherboards are fried. Now I got to go to Apple and speak to a genius and say, well, how much is it going to cost me to get a new motherboard? Oh, $350. So every time I leave to go somewhere, I have somebody breaking in, and I have security, and messing up my computer. So a friend of mine says to me, well, why do you have 12 computers? And I laughed. I says, because I need every one of them. <laughs> I crack up. You know, and this, people, people will appreciate this. I have 800 videos on, on YouTube and various stations and websites. And I started with Microsoft, Microsoft uh, Video Editor, worked my way up to, to, to iMovie, uh, Final Cut. Then I went into Linux, and I know five different Linux video editors to make movies. Why? Because I believe very strongly in freedom of speech. So I got 20 different ways to get my name out there, my message out there. And now I've got people like yourself to give me a couple hours just to share my journey, you know, my challenges, so that way someone else doesn't have to. Right, well, go ahead and uh, give out your uh, websites, a couple, couple of your websites before we run out of time on how to find your uh, videos. I found them uh, fascinating on your website. Well, one of the websites I just created is Legends, L-E-G-E-N-D-S, and A-N-D, Mystery, M-Y-S-T-E-R, y.com that's legendsandmystery.com another website is my name stephen s-t-e-p-h-e-n s-i-n-d-o-n-i dot w-e-b-s dot com there's another site that they can go to is hollow h-o-l-l-o-w e-a-r-t-h dot w-e-b-s dot com and those are places that they can go to to my actual websites if they go to youtube I've got sites called Sindoni Productions, Webflix, Webflix Guy, Sindoni Says is my most recent one where I post videos now on Sindoni Says and there's playlists there and you can watch my videos to your heart content and I make them where they're all embeddable so if anybody wants to embed anything I've done while I'm still on YouTube I encourage anybody to make a copy of my videos because who knows how long these videos will be up there they're talking about more and more censorship 
And so uh, those are some places that they can go to find my information. Also, I'm on uh, dailymotion.com uh, forward slash Stephen Sindoni. So you can also find me on Daily Motion too. Well, I put a few of your uh, websites in the chat room. If anybody's interested, they can go to the chat room, which is at revolution.radio, and check it out. It'll stay in there for quite a while. And uh, you just scroll up and you can find them. But, uh, I, I find, I find our, our talk uh, real interesting. we got about nine minutes left. And uh, is there anything else you would uh, like to bring up before uh, we get cut off? Yeah, there's one thing i like to bring up, and uh, this is about um, <clears throat> stalking. There are a lot of stalking going on in this country right now, and a lot of it's being done covertly. Uh, could be uh, MI5, MI6, Israeli Mossad, and a lot of groups are out there now eavesdropping, walking by with handheld devices and stealing people's passwords or information, stealing the, uh, the information off their credit cards or their bank accounts, cards, just while they walk past you, they'll swipe across you, they, uh, they'll, they'll be across the street on a window. They'll be listening to everything that people are saying, and they'll hack into your computers. And this is all going on in real time, and these individuals think they're above the law. I, I, I found something very interesting. Uh, there was cloaking going on, and cloaking, for those who don't know it, are people that are able to come into your dwelling cloaked where you don't see them and hit you with electromagnetic frequency rays because you don't drink the Kool-Aid. So I personally right now, I'm sharing this story because I've been a target of surveillance for a number of years by a certain individual who has told me, I'm gonna get you your mother effort. And uh, I'm here to tell you that I'm the weeble, I wobble, but I refuse to fall down. So what I did is I put him out on my YouTube channels and showed his photo and I made jokes about him because he'll never get himself down. So. There's black helicopters that follow me wherever I go, and I, and I feel honored that they'll, they'll, you know, they want to protect me wherever I go. But we got some serious stuff going on. That and the chemtrails, that people need to speak to their local officials about what's going on and stop these individuals before they come into their dwellings at night and steal the eyeballs out of their heads. I, I do believe that there is a big problem with stalking. It's not, uh, well, the government does get involved in it, but just the, the ones I'm really worried about getting into your computer and getting your credit card number and stuff like that is the guy just down the street. You know, he's the one you really got to worry about. Well, exactly right. So I, much. I got a guy. Uh, there are ways yeah. to protect your credit cards, and one of them is have an aluminum case. Put them in an aluminum case, and they can't read them. Yeah, that's what I've got as well, too. Another thing too is Personally, I don't uh, buy anything on the internet with a credit card. I'll go buy me one of the throwaway cards from Walmart and I use that on the internet. That's exactly what I do. You, you sound so much like me. It's just interesting because I carry them in my pocket wherever I travel. And after I make the purchase, I just call up Amex, for example, gift card, and say how much money I got left. And oh. I just subtract it and put on a magic mark on the back of the card. I don't even have a bank account. And I don't have a cell phone. I, I don't drive. <laughs> So, well, you know what? Probably you, a little, little worse off than you are as far as being paranoid stuff. But you know what? You know, it reminds me of the story. I'll tell this quick story that I go into a, a suit store to buy a suit, and I said to the guy, I said, "Look, I'd like to have a belt and a pair of suspenders." He says, "Well, I understand the belt, but why are you going to have a pair of suspenders if you got a belt?" I said, "Do you think I'm going to trust my my pants with my belt and my money in my back pocket? That's why I got the suspenders. I don't trust anybody." 
I told somebody the other day, and we were talking about trust. I don't even trust myself sometimes. <laughs> well, that's exactly true. You know why? Because ego. Ego has a way of coming oh, yeah. out and saying, I'll show them. And then I say to ego, I'll smack you silly. I'll never do that. you got to leave. You can't stay here. Yeah. You can't hang around in my house. How many times in your life have you said, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. No, that's not me. And the next thing you know, you go right ahead and do it. That's exactly right. And that's egos telling you, well, you know, you can get away with it. Oh, you can walk on water. Really? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. You know, I, So I realized that you have to put ego in check, and you have to realize that, you know, you, you can't be Superman. I mean, that's just for the movies. You know, you are who you are. You cut, you bleed, you hurt, you cry. You're a human. And when you realize that you have to be a softer person and a real genuine person and authentic, you'll stop doing those dumb things or you'll stop judging. There's three kinds of people. There's people who talk about people, there's people who talk about events, and there are people who talk about ideas. I want to be known uh, for a person who talks about ideas. I don't want to talk about people because if I do, what does it say about me going down to that level? But if I do say something bad, I'll back it up with fact. Everything I've said, I can back it up with fact. And uh, so I know... That's what intrigued me about when I, when I run across your stuff is because you did do that. Well, that's what you got to do. I mean, my grandfather taught me. He said, Stefan, put your pants on the same way every day. And I did. I learned from somebody who said, stand up. You know, if you see something, say something and do something. But I realized that it takes a lot of courage to do what I'm doing or other people like myself will do because there are people who want to hurt the messenger. Well, it's too late. The messenger got his message out today. People all over the world got to hear Stefan Sindoni and find, find out that I'm a great guy. I'm a brilliant guy. I'm smart. And I'm humble at the same time because all this came from God. I'm a co-creator with Source. And if God didn't w help me with this, then he wouldn't have spent so much time on me on that makeover because he took a little more time on me. And I'm glad that he did because I appreciate the gifts that I've been given and the tools I've been given to be able to share this information with you tonight, Matt, and your viewers. Well, I, I'm glad you did. I, I enjoyed Durst speak, and uh, we, we, I'll, I'll probably want to keep in touch with you and we'll get you back on here. Uh, we got about two minutes. I want to remind everybody that we are totally listener-supported, and for the remainder of the month of, of March, we do have a special going for $160 donation. Hawk will send you a five-ounce silver bar, but you got to put your name and your address in an option on PayPal in order to get it, or we'll keep the money and the silver. Uh, and up next is uh, Noreen with Wild at Heart's Roundtable on A, and on B is uh, Dave Scott with Spaced Out Radio. Uh, before we uh, uh, actually get cut off by the music, uh, you want to say your websites one more time so people can hear them? Okay, <clears throat> my latest website is legendsandmystery.com, L-E-G-E-N-D-S-A-N-D-M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y.com. Then it's my name, stephensindoni.webs.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-I-N-D-O-N-I.W-E-B-S.com, or my hollowearth.webs.com, H-O-L-O-W, earth, E-A-R-T-H, dot, webs.com and I'm on YouTube. I have about seven different YouTube channels. Go to Sindoni says for my latest YouTube uploads and uh, that's all folks. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate you coming on and talking.
I really enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Uh, I've gotten quite a bit of feedback from people saying they, that they have. So we, we'll get you a, a, a video or an MP3 of it up in a day or two for you. Uh, everybody else, you can go to our archives and uh, re-listen to the show if you're a member of the archives, which is $6 a month, by the way. 